Right. Uh, thankful for what I felt here this morning. Thankful for um, you know the Bible teaches that let all things be done decently and in order. And uh, he gives, as I said, Paul gives us instruction. So if I could say a word to the church and to and to Brother Mike, that's behind us. It's not to ever be brought up. Don't let Satan bring it up and hinder your work. Uh, it's over with and it's forgiven. And we reach forward to the things that are before, forgetting those things which are behind. And so that's over and that's done with. And I appreciate the spirit in which it was done by him and by this church. And I'm thankful for that. Uh, anything on your heart this morning before we get into the, to the reading? If not, I do desire your prayers. I'll ask you to turn to two places. Isaiah chapter 61 and Esther chapter number 9. Isaiah chapter number 61, a few verses there, and Isaiah, I mean in uh, Isaiah 61 and Esther chapter number 9. Again, I had a hard time settling on a thought. Earlier in the week, my thoughts went one way. Later in the week, my thoughts went another way. And so, um, sometimes it's like that. And uh, sometimes the man of God just needs the touch of the Lord. And, and I need that this morning. And uh, you, you, sometimes I've been guilty of letting the devil defeat me before I ever stand behind this book board. Uh, he'll tell me I'm going to struggle and make a mess, and a lot of times I do. Uh, but I told the Lord when He called me to preach, if He had just helped me, uh, I'd try to stand for Him. And that's very important. Whatever it is that you do, you don't have to be a preacher. Um, you make a vow and a promise to the Lord, it's, it's imperative that you follow through. And, and so we'll read a few verses in Isaiah chapter number 61, starting in verse number 1. This is also found in Luke, part of it, as Jesus started His ministry publicly, He stood and He read these words. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. And here is where I thought, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He might be glorified. And I'm going to stop there. I go to Esther chapter number 9. And verse number 20. Esther chapter number 9 and verse number 20. And it says, And Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters unto all the Jews that were in the provinces of King Xerxes, both nigh and far, to establish this among them, that they should keep the fourteenth day of the month Adar and in the fifteenth day of the same yearly as the days wherein the Jews rested from their enemies, and the month which was turned unto them from sorrow to joy, and from mourning into a good day, that they should make them days of feasting and joy, and of sending portions one to another, and gifts to the poor. And that's all we're going to read. I got to thinking, the latter part of this week, we were watching a, a, some... Silly movie, really, the other night, and and there was a song, and it was uh, "Beauty for Ashes," I think, maybe the name of it. But anyway, I got to thinking about that this week, and 
and about the times that God has, uh, it says to appoint them that mourn in Zion. Now Zion represents, uh, in, the, in, in our day, Zion would represent the church of the living God. And so, uh, anytime there's mourning in Zion, uh, anytime there's mourning, uh, we went through a revival here a week or so ago, and, and, uh, and we saw a lot of praying. And, and I'll be honest, there's been a lot of mourning uh, because things that we expected to happen have not happened yet. And so lots of times it, uh, coming out of revival, when as far as we know, uh, and somebody might have got saved, but as far as we know right now today, uh, we see no testimonies and no, uh, you know, nobody coming forth to join. And I still think that, that somebody here wants to join and the doors are open. And my prayer would be before the service is over that God would get a hold of you and drag you up here if He has to and, and just compel you. That's how He does. He just leads and He draws. Uh, he has strings attached to your heart and He's able to just draw you uh, where He wants you to be. And I pray that, that He does that to you before this service is over. But, but there's been some mourning, no doubt, uh, in the house of God. There's been some mourning in Zion. And, and so a lot of times we come out of revival if nothing happens and, and we get discouraged. And, and we get discouraged, I think, because we had such high hopes for it. And, and the message went forth and the message went out. And so, uh, so they've had opportunities to be saved. And, and God has granted them another opportunity today to come into His house and, and to be saved. But I would want to talk to you this morning uh, specifically to the church, to Zion. Uh, you know, the Bible says when Zion prevails, uh, uh, then she brings forth her children. And, and this church, I don't have any doubt in my mind, I saw the way you worked in the altar last week. And I saw the concern on your faces. And, and I saw the tears streaming down your face uh, uh, just like it was your boy or your girl that was on the altar. And, and I appreciate that. That is Zion prevailing today. And I still believe that Zion, that this church will bring forth children. And, and so God has a way. He said the Spirit of God, this is a prophecy, and Jesus fulfilled that in Luke chapter 4. He stood up in Galilee as He began His public ministry and He opened up the book and, and He opened it to Isaiah 61 and He began to read just exactly what I read unto you. And He said, This day is the Scripture fulfilled in your ears. In other words, Jesus was saying, It's me that this book is talking about. That Isaiah 61 was, was talking about. Jesus said it was talking about me. That, that I will comfort all those that are mourning sign that I've been sent to heal the brokenhearted, to bind up the hearts that are broken and, and to, uh, to, to, uh, to do all of these things. But it talked about He shall give you beauty uh, for ashes. And, and so that's what He desires to do this morning. He, he wants to take our ashes. Uh, I find in different places in the Old Testament, especially in the Old Testament, that, uh, that whenever trouble came uh, to a people that they would repent, that they would sit in sackcloth and ashes. I can find where Job... Uh, going through the probably one of the most severe trials that any man in this world has ever faced since the dawn of time. He lost everything that he had except his wife. He lost his kids. He lost his uh, he lost his cattle and his sheep. 
He lost his servants. He lost everything that he had except his wife. And to be quite honest, he would done just as well to lose her because she canceled him to curse God and die. And the Bible says in chapter 2, Job, uh, that he sat down in, an, in a pile of ashes and he took a piece of broken pottery and began to scrape the sores that were all over his body. And so it's repenting and sitting in sackcloth and in ashes is the type of mourning that, uh, that Zion goes through once in a while. And, and you go through it in your family if you uh, are mourning today uh, the death of a loved one or, or if you have a loved one as some of you do here uh, today as we talked in Sunday school. Uh, and my heart breaks for these people uh, uh, when the doctors have given them a certain amount of time. Uh, first it starts out as mindset and then it comes down to, to weeks and, and then you get down to days uh, and so my prayer is that God would sincerely send the Holy Ghost and be a comfort and grace unto them this morning and throughout the rest of their days. But no doubt there are times that Zion mourns. And I'm glad today that when we stand in their heap of ashes that we've got one that's willing to give us joy for our ashes. But we have to be willing to give those ashes unto Him at the trade. He said, I'll give you my beauty and you give me your ashes and we'll make a trade. And there's been times in my life where I've sat down. I can remember and I've told you this how I come to pastor here. I was at the pit at T.J. Sampson is what they called it where we had to park down in the valley. And I can remember crying and I can remember the tears running down my face and I can remember praying God. Surely there's a church somewhere that is looking for a pastor and, and surely even though I'm nothing great uh, and surely there's somewhere uh, that I can be a help to and surely there's a little flock somewhere uh, set aside for me and as I begin to pray that prayer uh, there was a spirit that came over me and you know how it is sometimes when you pray and, uh, and you think my prayer didn't even go above the ceiling uh, this was not one of those times it was one of the few times in my life I truly believe I reached out and touched the throne of God. And you know that feeling. If you've ever prayed through, even one time you know that feeling. Where you move the heart of God by faith. And so I was in a bad place and I began to cry and pray. I was sitting in my car, but I just as well have been sitting in a pile of ashes. Sitting there just feeling... Sorry for myself, and I'm telling you within two hours, uh, and Brother Randy Robinson had left a voicemail. He said, Brother, how would you come and preach at Lafayette? And I knew right then this was where I never have set foot in this place before. But I just felt the Lord calling and pulling me. And, and so He did. And I'm glad it's worked out. And, and I'd like to continue on. I should have said it earlier in August. You're supposed to say that, I guess. So the vote will be next month. I'd like to continue on here if you'll have me. But there's been times that, that no doubt I've sat in those ash heaps. I thought about, as I read out of the book of Esther, I thought about how one of the, how one of the books of the Bible, maybe the only book of the Bible who doesn't even mention the name of God. Not one time in the book of Esther you don't find Jehovah and you don't find God. But my friend, His, His, uh, His grace and His mercy and His appearing is all throughout that little book. It's just, I think, nine or ten chapters if you want to read it uh, when you get home. But basically, uh, she, was a, she was an orphan. 
her parents had died and right off the bat you see her uh, sitting in ashes if you will uh, because she lost her mama and she lost her daddy and then sometimes she goes through things and, and you think I know the Bible says uh, in chapter 8 of Romans that all things uh, will work together for good uh, to them that love the Lord according to His purpose and you think how how can this turn to good how can losing this that this little girl lost her parents. How can that possibly work out for good? And sometimes things happen and we don't understand why things happen. And you can't help but question as you sit in your heap of ashes and wonder why things have happened to you. But I'm telling you right now that God wants to take your sorrow and He wants to turn that sorrow into joy. And He can do that if we'll allow Him to do that. But here's this little orphan named Esther. And Esther was raised by her, her cousin, her first cousin, by the name of Mordecai. And the Bible said Mordecai raised Esther as, he, as she was his own little girl. And so he raised her and he brought her up. And apparently she was a beautiful young woman. And about this time, the king of Persia had a, had a great big feast. And when I say a great big feast, I mean six months, 180 days, the Bible says. He made a feast unto his princes. And, and they talked about how great he was and how powerful he was. And during this time, he wanted to show off his queen. And so he called her and she refused to come. I said, I don't really blame her. Uh, she thought within herself, no doubt, I'm not going to go out there and be paraded in front of a bunch of drunk men and hobble that and whatnot. So she didn't come. And that made Xerxes, that made the king of Persia and he got his councilmen together and they said, you're going to have to do something about your wife. And you're going to have to do something about her because when word spread that she has disrespected you, all the wives in Persia will do the same to their husbands. And so, so we did. He put her away. He divorced her. And the council said, let there be fair young virgins brought in. Unless to the one that pleases the king, he'll make her the new queen. And so they did. And in that number that they brought in was that beautiful little, a little Hebrew girl orphan by the name of Esther. And the Bible says a year went by and she along with the others purified herself according to the king's decree. And they gave her things of purification and she cleaned herself up and, and she was very fair and very beautiful to look upon. And all of these others went before the king with all of this attire. Uh, but it said Esther didn't need that. She didn't go in with anything except what they had given her. Uh, just went in plain. Ladies, can I tell you, you don't need all the makeup. I don't have anything against you wearing it, but you're beautiful regardless if you've done it or not. And so she went into the king, and the king found she found grace and favor. And he began to love Esther above all the other women. So this little orphan girl was now queen of Persia. 127 provinces. And then there was a man named Haman. And Haman was, was promoted to great honor in Persia. Haman was there and Mordecai had told Esther, don't you tell them that you're a Jew. You keep that to yourself for a period of time. 
And Mordecai, being a Jew, uh, sat at the king's gate. And he was checking in on his, on his cousin that he raised as his little girl. And as he sat there by the gate, uh, Haman came by. And there was a law that when Haman came by, that everybody must bow down to him. But Mordecai being a God-fearing Hebrew, a God-fearing Jew, and the commandment was given to Moses, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, and so thou shalt not bow down unto anything save the Lord thy God. So Mordecai was the only one. He simply refused to bow. He would not do it. Haman came through and the kingdom would bow. And there stood Mordecai. And Haman got so mad and he got so upset he started to figure out what he could do to Mordecai because he would not bow unto him. And so he went into the king. He knew Mordecai was a Jew. He went into the king and he said, King, there is a people that scattered throughout your 127 provinces. And they're different. They're not like us. They don't worship our gods. And they don't respect you. And it's these Jews. He said, let there be a writing and decree that on a certain day, every Jew, every Hebrew, both woman and man, even boys and girls and all children shall be slaughtered and shall be killed. And the king signed it with his own ring. And the law could not be changed. It was said that in about a year's time, and they had the day wrote up on a flyer, if you want to call it a flyer, and they dispersed those flyers throughout the whole province. 127 states or provinces of Persia. And they dispersed it all. And the Bible says when the Jews in every city read that. They sat in sackcloth and ashes. And Mordecai did the same. He sat outside the gate and he sat in ashes. And he wept and he mourned and he cried and he wondered what was going to happen to them. And Esther got wind of it and she told the king's chamberlain, go see what's happened to Mordecai. Now why is he sitting in ashes? I want to know. He's like my daddy to me. I want to know what troubles him. And so the king's chamberlain came back and he told Esther that every Jew was going to be killed on a certain day. And Mordecai sent word to Esther, Esther, you've got to go in before the king. You've You've got to tell him who you are. You've got to tell him that you're a Hebrew. You've got to go in. And Esther said the king has one law uh, that when he's uh, when he's on his royal throne, no man can come unto him. And no man can go unto the king unless he be invited. And if you're not invited and you go and stand before the king, he will kill you. And that's his law. And she said, besides... I've not even had a request to appear before Him in a month. Thirty days. I've not even seen Him. I've not been requested to appear before Him. And He said, Esther, you've got to go stand before the King. He said, you've got to go into the King. He said, if you don't, no doubt salvation will arise from another place. But you and me and all your family and all these Jews are going to be slaughtered. And He said, who knows, Esther? if you were brought for the kingdom for such a time as this. Well, now it all begins to make sense. In the big picture of things, you see, Esther had lost her mom and dad. How is God going to bring that ash? And how is He going to turn that into beauty? How is He going to do that? But God was working everything after the counsel of His own will. He knew what was going to happen. And before it happened, He had a lady named Esther right where He could use her. 
You understand how that works? Sometimes you go through things and, and you don't understand the why behind it. But God has got you right where He needs you to be. You just need to trust Him about that for a space of time. And we don't know the why. But over time, sometimes they're revealed to us. So Esther said, I'll tell you what, you go and you take all my family and you take every Jew in the city and don't eat for three days. You fast and you pray and you weep and you cry to God. And she said, I and my handmaids are going to do the same thing. So for three days, every Jew, every Hebrew in the palace of Shushan and that whole city, they fasted and they sat in ashes and they mourned and they wept. I'm telling you right now, that sitting in your pile of ashes, you have faith to move the mind and heart of God. Sitting in your ashes. You might think, what good can come of it? And Esther said on the third day, you go tell Mordecai, I'm going to go before the king. And if I perish, I perish. In other words, she was putting her life on the line. She was putting her livelihood, her own life. The king would have been well within his right uh, to kill his own wife for doing what she did. And she came unto him. And she waited there on pins and needles with bated breath. I'm just waiting. Is he going to accept me? Is he going to hold out the golden scepter? Or is he going to remove my head? And the Bible said he saw Esther and his heart was moved and he held out the golden scepter and she came and touched him. And she said, Oh king. And he said, What do you want, Esther? He said, I'll give you to the half of my kingdom. You see, the king loves his bride. You need to understand that. The king loves his bride this morning. He loves his church. Now, which we shouldn't have any reason to fear that to come before the king. Never one time have I went unto the king of kings without him holding out that golden scepter and saying, Son, what do you need? What do you want? I'm telling you, he loves his bride. And Xerxes the king loved his bride. And Esther said, I'll tell you what. He said, she said, if you'll just come with Haman, get Haman and come to a banquet that I've prepared for you tonight. And the king said, okay. And he got Haman and they went to Esther's place. And she had a banquet of wine fixed. And the king said again, Esther, what do you want? I'll give it to you up into the half of my whole kingdom. And she said, if it please my lord the king, let the king and Haman come back tomorrow and I'll fix another banquet and I'll tell you all my heart. And he said, fine, we'll go. And the Bible says it just so happened. There are no coincidences. It just so happened that the king couldn't sleep that night. If you tell me that God does not intervene in the lives of men on this earth, I'll say you're crazy. He calls sleep to of all nights, of all the times, this night the king could not sleep. And he began to have the chronicles have you ever been not able to sleep until you get an old boring book and you begin to read uh, hoping that that will just lull you to sleep? Out of all the things the king could have commanded, he couldn't sleep. He could have had some wine or, or something like that to knock him out. Yeah, but he told one of his servants, now go and grab the books. Go and grab the chronicles of the kings. I want you to read me some of that. Maybe that will help me sleep. And the Bible said that the chamberlain just so happened to take that volume of the Chronicles of the Kings that mentioned Mordecai. 
Why did they mention Mordecai? Uh, because several months back, uh, there was a plot to assassinate the king. And Mordecai the Jew caught wind of it. And he told the king's servants. And the king's servants, his wife was spared because of Mordecai. And they read that unto the king. And the king had never heard it. Had never heard of Mordecai. He said, what has been done to this Mordecai? Uh, what honor has been given unto him? That because he saved my life. And they said, nothing. We've not done a thing for him. We've not done a thing for Mordecai. And about that time, Haman came in. And the king asked Haman, What shall be done unto the man in whom the king delighteth? And Haman thought within himself, Well, who would the king delight in more than me? And so Haman thought the king was talking about him. We're not near as important as we think we are. We're not. We're really not. And so Haman thought the king has got to be talking about me. Who else would he be finding favor with? And the Bible says that Haman went in and he said, I'll tell you what, king, you need to put on that man the royal attire, the clothes that you yourself wear. Put him on the royal crown. Put him on your royal, uh, royal horse and parade him through the city and begin to shout out. Haman could see it now. He was going to get the accolades. He was going to get the adoration that he thought he so richly deserved. And the Bible said you're going to parade him through and say this is what the king does to the man and whom he delights. And the king said, Thou hast well said, Go and take Mordecai the Jew and you do that to him. And that crushed Haman. I mean, it crushed him to his core. And he got Mordecai. He anointed him in royal apparel. He put the royal crown on top of Mordecai. He put the king's clothes on Mordecai. He set Mordecai, that Jew, up on the king's horse. He walked him through the city. And he began to say, this is what the king does. And to the man whom he delights. And when that day was passed, he went home and he wept. And he wept unto his wife. He called all of his friends. All of his wife's friends, the whole multitude together. And he began to say, Such and such have I been promoted. The king has promoted me to the highest honor in the land. Nobody but the king has more power than me. He began to explain his riches and his promotions and really building himself up. But he said, Nothing, none of this satisfies me as long as Mordecai the Jew does not last. Let me just stop, and I know we're running out of time. Too often, you let your happiness, and I do me too, we let our happiness depend on what others think. I'm telling you right now, just because one man would not bow, Haman had everything, but he couldn't stand it. He wanted that last thing. He wanted Mordecai to bow down. He said, none of the promotions, none of the riches, none of the honor. He said, I can't enjoy any of it. Every time I see Mordecai the Jew, it just galls me and I can't stand it. And they said, here's what you need to do. You need to make a gallows and you need to go into the king and say to him and hang Mordecai the Jew. He don't need to disrespect you like that. And so Haman had those gallows made. And about that time, it was time for him to go to the second banquet. So he went into the to Esther's palace, and there was the king. And the king said, "Esther, what is that? What do you want? And I'll give you to the half of the kingdom." And Esther said, "O king, my people are set to be destroyed. My people are set to be annihilated." And she said, "I'm a Jew." 
I'm a Hebrew. And there's a decree that's gone out. And me and every one of my people are going to be slaughtered and destroyed. And the king got mad. You don't touch the pride of the king. You listen to that. The world will take notice of that. You don't mess with the king's bride. But he did. And he said, Esther, who's that one that's doing this to you? And Esther said, right there he is. It's that wicked Haman. It's all him. It's always been him. And the king got mad and he ran out. Haman fell down on the bed where Esther was, begging her for his life. The king came in, saw Haman, thinking Haman was now trying to rape his wife. He sent Haman to the gallows that he had built for Mordecai. A decree went out that on that day when every Jew, every Hebrew was to be killed, the king sent a decree out and said, every Jew, every Hebrew, you stand and fight for your right to live. And the Bible says on that day, 75,000 men perished and the Jews were spared. They were saved. They fought. And by the help and the grace of God, they won. And so that decree went out that I read to you in Esther. That it was supposed to be a day of sorrow. It was supposed to be a day of mourning. And God took their sorrow and He turned it into joy. I think about when Jesus was crucified. I preached about that for an hour the other night. And all the, 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 uh, the sadness that came over His disciples, over all that He had touched. Uh, this man was now dead. Uh, they talked to each other on the road to Emmaus. And they said, do you not understand what's happened here? Are you just a stranger in these last few days? And they said, what's happened? And he said, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God by miracles, we thought it was He who would restore the kingdom of Israel. And He's dead now. And the three days went by. We've not heard a thing. And He's dead and their hopes were gone. But then word came that Jesus was alive. He told them, your sorrow shall be turned to joy. He said, the world is going to weep. I mean, He said, the world is going to rejoice when I'm crucified. He said, but you're going to weep and you're going to lament and you're going to be sorrowful and you're going to have sadness. But He said, you trust Me and your sorrow shall be turned to joy. The same thing when He raised Martha's brother Lazarus. The same thing when He raised the widow's son at name. Everywhere He went, He took the men's sorrows he took the people's sorrows and He gave them joy. I'm telling you here in this place today, I don't know your heart, but if you're weeping on a kind of sin, He can take that godly sorrow, that work of repentance, He can turn it into joy today. He can save your never dying soul, your unworthy soul. If you're here today and you've been saved, you're worried about going to church, you know you need to, you know you want to, but you can't bring yourself up to stand before Him and give an account of your testimony. I'll say that sorrow that you're feeling, He will turn that to joy if you follow Him. And all that you do, that ain't been much, but that's what I've got for you this morning. He'll take your ashes. He'll give you beauty for your ashes. Isn't that a grand thing? We serve a good God and a good Savior. And on more than one occasion, He's took me and lifted me up out of the ash heap and set my feet on a solid rock and established my goals. God bless you as we have a song.